Welcome back to Two Homers and a Realist. This is a continuation in our special series of Get to Know One of Us, Get to Know a Homer or a Realist. And today we'll be getting to know myself. So I'm going to turn the duties over to, to Connor and the gang and, and we'll let them lead the questioning. I will remind the audience we continue to be in a construction mode here at the studio. We're, we're building out. Half. We're on the back half. We're on the back half. Um, we got the pool in. There's a big outdoor audience area build. If you've ever seen the spring break shows, it's going to be a lot like that where we have the the swimsuits and everything going on, those competitions while we pod. Come by. It's going to be real ex it's going to be very exciting. Yeah, come by and see it. But but let me turn this over to the gang and start the interview now. Yeah, no. Uh, so I think the the question that everyone is wondering, especially the listeners that listen often, uh, for Steve is are you a homer or are you a realist? I think everyone knows this. I am definitely a realist. <laughs> I've been mislabeled a homer oh, no. by many who would be derogatory and don't understand what realism is all about, but I have a very optimistic realism about <laughs> me. That's how I will describe myself, and I, can, I think I can defend it. I take a optimistic viewpoint on things. I'm a fan who believes in this team. I want to see the good. Definitely, I can look back in retrospect and say there have been many times where I inappropriately judged the situation to be more uh, rosy for OU than it actually probably should have been in, in foresight, but in 2020 hindsight, evaluating that foresight. But at the same time, we are a blue blood program, and we're an elite blue blood program. We should expect to be great, and I expect us to be great. Sometimes those expectations conflict with reality, and that's where you would say I'm a homer. But at the same time, I'm also a supporter and can see where it can work out and can see where it, there's a reason to believe in it. So I don't think we're ever that distant and different, any of us, in our views. It's just kind of the demeanor we choose to take on it and the perspective that we emphasize. And I. I'm going to take into account all of the, the realism and all of the um, uh, facts on the ground as I can. And at the end of the day, I'm going to emphasize and talk about the optimistic view of it. I'm not going to sit and say, here's all the ways we're going to lose going forward. I mean, this podcast isn't called a Homer, an optimistic realist, and a realist. <laughs> well, it would have been, but we didn't have enough characters. Oh, in the too, name. Many words. It's too many yeah, words. Pay per letter. Yeah. 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 That actually was taken. Yeah, it doesn't really it doesn't roll off the tongue as well. So, so Steve, you've got some you've got some deep roots in your fandom. Um, you've got some deep roots in in your your thought process towards OU. Uh, kind of give the the audience a background. What's your what's your OU origin story? What's your history with OU? All right. So, raised by a very OU centric family, very 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 big fans. Um, really on my dad's side my my mom's side of the family they weren't really um, football fans or sports fans at all my grandpa on that side actually went to Oklahoma State and he really couldn't care less about um, sports in football in particular but on my dad's side very rabid OU fans my um, the, the grandfather we share, Connor, and the grandmother we share, big, big, big OU fans. And some of my earliest pictures are all of us in OU gear um, when I'm just a, a young baby. So 
my story begins there. It begins with um, growing up in that family. I started going to games. I don't know exactly. I'm guessing when we moved back from Dallas in 1978. I'm sure that's when we, I started attending a few games with my dad and grandfather uh, and, and uncle, uh, cousin slash uncle. Um, How old would you have been there? So How, I would have been... How old I was, are you now? I'm, well, I'm in my extremely late 20s. I'm 47. <laughs> Uh, I was born in 75, so I was sometime around being three years old, okay. I would imagine. Now, probably not at three, but maybe for a little bit, going with my mom and maybe I left. Uh, I know I went to home games before uh, the, the 1983 season, and we'll get to that when I talk about my first away game. But I don't have a definitive record of those games and no, but I know that's when I started going and that's my history. And, and unlike some, I've been a very dedicated OU fan ever since and the entire time. Unlike some, unlike some. Um, that's, that's good. And I, I, we've talked about it a few times uh, on these podcasts and just kind of out in the open. What is your longest, most notable streaks, whether it be home streak, uh, OU Texas, etc. So I've got a lot of data on this. Um, I have gone back and attempted to put together from ticket stubs and memory and history the best I can to recollect and keep up with my entire history of attendance. Uh, I keep a very, uh, let's call it, um, big spreadsheet on all of this where I analyze it as well. Uh, my current streak of home games dates back to 1985. The last OU home game I missed was the 1985 game against Miami when Troy Aikman broke his ankle and Jamel Holloway came in took over and led the Sooners to a national title. I did not attend that game. I remember experiencing that game and being in the backyard when I finally heard that we officially lost. And ever since, I've gone to every home game. That's 222 games. My, um, so I know that I've been to 222 home games. I know I've been to more. I just don't know it definitively to tell you I was at this game, I was at that game, I was at another. Back in the day, we didn't have pictures and things on iPhones and other things to date us, so it's really just memory, and I try to be conservative. Uh, as I look back at those home games, I have attended 70, over 79% of the home games in my lifetime, and I know it's over that because that is 79% of all the home games that have happened, plus the ones I can't remember for sure. My longest streak of total attendance is 39 straight games, which goes back to the the early um, John, uh, early Bob Stoops years and into the John Blake years, um, attending in 99, 2000, 2001. Um, I guess actually, so the, I didn't, I, actually it wouldn't date that because I remember I did not go to the, the Independence Bowl in 1999. I was in Las Vegas uh, to ring in that uh, millennium new year. But I did attend every game in the 2000 season, 2001, and 2002, it must have been into 2003 that I didn't attend. I've been to 39 OU Texas games, my first being the 1984 game. We'll talk about that in just a second. I've been to five bowl games and seven otherwise neutral site games. I've been to 327 plus, again, because I don't know the home record uh, entirely, 327 plus OU football games, which is 55% of all OU games that have occurred in my lifetime. Wow. 
So there you go. That's the standard right there, guys. Um, Get working on it. Yep. Everybody has those kind of stats, right? <laughs> yeah, everybody keeps a spreadsheet. Yeah, right. I've always joked. And I got the correlations, too, with winning percentage and everything else, if you'd like to know those. Uh, yeah, I've always joked that I want Steve to be the 90-plus-year-old man getting rolled out into the, the corner of the end zone about this, his number of home games attended in a row, um, you know, in the year 2051, something <laughs> like that. So... Um, anyway, so you've touched I won't be 90 in 2051, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> sentiment holds true. Um, so you've touched on a couple of these. You don't exactly remember your first home game, but your first home game to recollection, maybe your first away game, first OU Texas game, and your first bowl game. Why don't you touch on that? So that's something on the home game. I probably could go back and if I did enough cross-referencing research, figure out what those first home games might have been because. I probably could figure out from different things when I most likely did go to them and what I do recollect. Um, my first away game is very distinctive. That was 1983, OU Missouri. We got beat 10 to nothing. That was a road trip uh, with my grandfather, father, and my aunt. Um, I remember how painful it was to lose to Missouri. It was a, a big upset, and my favorite player at the time, Spencer Tillman, was carted off the field in a in an ambulance um, because he had a neck injury in the middle of it and that really shocked me and scared me as an eight-year-old. Um, my first OU Texas game was the infamous 1984 game in the rain and that was a very interesting eye-opening experience. It really, those first few years as, as a nine-year-old, ten-year-old, eleven-year-old, you know, you're so young, you're formative, you don't really know what to expect. Some things that stand out to me are, one, the lady that used to sit right behind us where we used to sit in the stadium for years and years uh, was screaming at the top of her lungs how much Texas sucked before the game. <laughs> Texas sucks. I hate you, Texas. And I just turned around to look at her because I was just kind of astonished by this and amazed. And she looked down at me and she said, someday you'll understand. And by God, yes, I do. She was absolutely <laughs> Correct, and now I'm that guy at the games that people turn around and say, what is he doing? Why is he doing that? In the 1984 game, it rained. It rained that entire weekend. It rained just nonstop, drenching rain. I'm sure they would have postponed the game or found a way to do it, uh, I guess, although we've had rain, a few rain games like that since. It was no lightning. It was just rain. It rained through the rain gear, which was fortunate because in that devastatingly awful game where the refs completely robbed us um, as Keith Stansberry intercepts the ball and then gets called out of bounds and as Texas is continuing on that drive to what will be kick a game tying field goal which felt every bit like a loss to us I desperately had to go to the bathroom and my dad looked down at me he said you can hold it I'm not taking you to the bathroom right now and, and I couldn't, so I wet my pants and watched OU lose or tie that game, get tied in that game, lose that game in, in our eyes. Um, and so that just added the insult to the injury. So I started out hating Texas uh, for a lot of different reasons. Because it made you pee your pants. Because it made me pee my <laughs> pants. My first bowl game was probably, it had to be the national championship game in 2000. Um, we obviously didn't go to a bowl under John Blake or, or Schnellenberger. Um, I didn't go to the Gibbs Bowl games. Um, 
that would have been, unless I'm really blanking on something, that I could look at the stats. That's my first bowl game no that I attended. No, no Shreveport. I was in Vegas for that one. Um, my dad and brother were there. I was with my other brother in Vegas, and that's one hell of another story uh, <laughs> for another time. So I, I do want to kind of just pause for a second. You've been to all of these OU Texas games. We'll get down into the atmosphere and stuff later, but you know, you touched on the first one you went to. What what do you think your most memorable OU Gosh, Texas game? That's that's so hard to say. We've we've talked about this a little bit. We've had I've had some, some good ones so in many. the last it's, decade. It's but it's hard nineteen eighty four, the very first one is, is extremely memorable. Um, they added an extra referee on the field after that season, right? Oh yeah, because of the Switzer how awful was so it was. He insisted about, on it. Yep, yeah, they added an extra. They added an extra official. Um, and then, unfortunately, the the three next years where we kick the crap out of them are sort of a blur. And this is sort of the way it goes as an OU fan. You remember the losses more than the victories. So I very, very painfully remember Peter Gardier and the losses back to back to the Cash Brothers catching touchdown passes in 1989 and 1990 against us. That was just a brutal way to lose those games. Um, losing to Texas under Gibbs was very brutal. That was a really trying time for us. Um, the 1996 game was a phenomenal upset that we won. I definitely remember the, the 94 game where we, um, where the 95 game where we, we tie under Schnellenberger and, and fail to win. And then in 96, winning with James Allen being able to, to redeem himself in a bit and, and win that, not get stopped short, and win that game, um, just, just an epic victory. That was amazing. That was an amazing trip down there. Still somewhere out there, a truck driver owes my brother a million dollars because going down, we had a CB radio, and we just talked to truckers the whole way down, and he bet a trucker, a random trucker, a million dollars that OU was going to win that game. And we were like 20-something point underdogs. And indeed, we did win it. Uh, 2000 was just phenomenal because I just was beside myself with this is not the way this game is supposed to go. It's so it was so unbelievable. It was so magical. Um, and then, obviously, really great victories that I do remember in 2003 and, and 2004. Uh, 2001, the Roy Williams game stands out. The Caleb Williams game stands out, um, obviously, as a, an epic, amazing comeback. The the overtime victory in in uh, 2000, in 2020 yeah. was yeah. was amazing. So, uh, and obviously, I don't think I'm ever going to forget. Unfortunately, 49, zero to 49 last, last year. year. So, yeah. there's a lot of them. I can I can yeah. keep going. Yeah. No, that's good. So. As you said, you've been through a lot of them. You went through the 90s, um, which were probably a little tougher than most. But what is your favorite OU season so far? So I have to say the 2000 season. That was so unbelievably magical, so unexpected. There was so, so much going in the right direction, but you just did not think it was going to end like that and that we were going to keep it going and get all the way through to an actual Big 12 title as well as a national title. So that's, that's got to be the favorite season. Um, there's been a few others that have, have come close and that, I don't know, for different reasons could have eclipsed it, but we fell short. And so that's, that's my favorite season. Very nice. So if you, we, we've had a lot of good home and homes as well. If you could schedule any home and home series with three teams, who do you think you'd choose? 
So you guys gave great answers to this and I can't really argue about those at all. Obviously going into the SEC that takes out all the SEC games as a necessary answer even though those would be obvious answers or so many of them would potentially be. Um, Miami and Florida State would be two that also would be very close contenders but they're not going to make my top three. I'm going to say Ohio State. I did not go to the, the game at Ohio State in 2016, and so 17, maybe yeah. uh, 17. Yeah. So maybe that's easier uh, for me to, to pick that as a, as a home and home opponent. I also lean on, I'm looking at the most traditional powers in Ohio State as well as Alabama are really with OU the top three in what I consider the modern era of college football since the 1970s. And so I feel like you've got to play those teams, so that's my that's my first pick. USC, somewhat for recency of Lincoln Riley and all of that, but also it's a long-term rivalry. We've played them many times and actually come up short many times um, for different circumstances and in different ways painfully. Uh, I've been out, that was one of my more memorable away games, is to go out and see them in the Coliseum and get beat um, in 1988. That was really painful but it was a great experience otherwise. So I'd like to see them on the schedule. And then Notre Dame, the other traditional power, uh, winningest overall team in the history of college football, um, want maybe the, the still potentially the face of the history of college football, although that's getting a little dated, but really respect Notre Dame as a university. I respect them more as a, as a program than I used to. I don't hate them the same way I used to. Maybe it's because they're not the same threat, I feel like. But um, that was going up and seeing OU play them uh, in 1999 was pretty special, and I, I think that would be my other team. Do you respect them for stealing the play like a champion? I do not sign? respect that. That actually, <laughs> thank you for reminding me of a great reason to, to hate them and that legacy, because that is pure theft. We had that as our motto long, long, decades before they, copyrighted they did it. it. And now sell T-shirts with it. It's absolutely pathetic. So you you asked me the same question in my pod, and I'll, I'll pose the same one to you. Um, out of those three, are you wanting to see close games, blowouts, a mixture of both? What's your feeling? Yeah, that's that? I like I like that thought process. So since I get to choose beforehand, I'm gonna say. I, very similar to what you said, I want them to be at their pinnacle. I don't want to beat a down team. And I would like to see a mixture of a close game, we pull it out on the road, and just a complete domination game at home. Yeah. And maybe one of those, maybe the USC would actually be domination in both cases, and one of these games where it's over for sure early on and we just dominate all the way down. Um, with the others, I don't know. With, with Notre Dame, if they're at their pinnacle, then I'll take a close game that we win. Otherwise, I want us to dominate. Ohio State, it could go either way, but I'd, I'd like a mixture of the two. Yep. Well, that kind of leads into the next thought process. What do you prefer, likely winning an easy bowl game or losing, potentially losing a playoff game? Yeah, and so we've done a lot of talk about this, and um, – I've always been of the opinion, and I'll maintain, I always want to be in the game. I always want to have a chance at it. So I know you don't get too many at-bats. You don't get too many shots at the ring. So every time you can get one, I'll take getting one versus uh, the sort of bird in the hand of a lesser victory. 
I think we all want us on a trajectory to win championships. So the argument really is a little bit about what puts us in the best position to compete for championships down the road. So then it becomes a little bit different of a consideration where we'd all say, if this positions us better two years, three years down the road, then let's go ahead and, and take whatever victory we can get now to get down the road. But I just think beggars can't be choosers and you never know what's gonna happen in a game. If you get into a situation where you can win a championship, take that chance, even if you get embarrassed, versus the sure win against a lesser opponent that no one else is gonna remember. You'll feel good about it, but no one else is gonna remember. Yeah, I, I echo the same sentiment, and I know we, we talked about it a bit on Lucas's pod, and there's a, a lot of different factors that play into it, but at the end of the day, whatever's putting OU in the best spot going forward. And, uh, you know, the argument I think that we went on the last pod was something like an OU versus UConn or an OU versus uh, LSU in the 2019 game where there wasn't much of a shot. The argument would have to be which one of those games puts us in a better position going forward. So um, and I think it'd be made on both sides. But uh, I, I agree with you. I think the, the, chance at the, the chance at the game, always being in the game, is an important, uh, important thing to note. Okay, so again, you've been a lot of places, Steve, but more than probably all of us combined here in this group. Um, out of those, you know, notable best and worst between venues, atmosphere, stadiums, fan experience, you know, give us, give us some insight there. So, a um, lot of amazing venues, a lot of amazing places to have seen OU play, um, a lot of fun trips. And, and as well as I want to touch on some of those at home that have been really memorable and what's been fun about that. We talked about a lot of those that, that went on in the Cotton Bowl of Fair Park. Um, those were pretty amazing. Seeing some opponents, we, I don't think you guys really touched too much on because you hadn't been to many, but like Big 12 championships and um, uh, games against bowl opponents, um, that those were fun. The, the, I'm thinking about the Big 12 championships. Um, Obviously, the ones down in Jerry World, we've had some amazing experiences there. That's yep. been a lot of fun to watch OU pull those games out uh, in, in 18 and 19. Um, those were, in particular, really great. Um, a 20 was, was very good. Um, so uh, other than, than those, I would say going to USC in 1988 was a pretty fun experience that ended, you know, the, the game went horribly. Uh, but it's it's something that as a 12-year-old or 13-year-old that really um, uh, was formative for me. I didn't go to Ohio State or Tennessee, which I regret. Um, I have been to Alabama. It was a very fun experience. I was younger but had a similar experience to what you guys had at Ohio State where the fans were great, the tailgating was amazing, and everyone was very welcoming. It was and I liked and respected and understood at the time, as I do now, that those are fans who really understand football. Now, this is back in the early 2000s when they weren't that good and had been in the woods a little bit for Alabama football. Was it 2004? Football. Uh, 2003, wasn't it? Three? Uh, <clears throat> I'd have to look. I'd, they run together. So that, that was a time when they weren't at, obviously, the pinnacle that they've been at since Saban arrived, but they were... Still a very proud program, a very intelligent football fan base, and very 
kind and welcoming. It was it was a great experience. Very different than what we've gotten uh, when we've been to a lot of Big 12 venues. Um, when when I went to Notre Dame, it was very similar. That was a pretty awesome place. Had a lot of fun at the UCLA game um, with with all of us going to that. In the Big 12, it's been good to see some new stadiums that are fun to go to. We mentioned before, you guys have mentioned that Baylor has a really nice stadium for a small stadium, but it's new and, and very accommodated, very intelligently built. Kansas State now has a very nice stadium. They've done incredible renovations. I remember going there in 96, which was a bad experience on many fronts. One, that we lost the game. Two, we had an epic comeback with Eric Moore that almost uh, came to fruition and just, just came up short. And that was a fan base who had just arrived. They were as new money as new money could be, and they weren't that good even then. I, I knew at the time they were just capitalizing on the probation, among other things, and, and Bill Snyder's a great coach, but they were capitalizing on the probation for Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and taking advantage of this vacuum that had opened up. And they just have no appreciation for what they had or, or what, and they were cheering for first downs, and that really, really bugged me. Um, Colorado, I've been there and treated like dirt quite a few times and, and always uh, amazed by that. Iowa State, it's always amazing when you go up there and you run into fans who really hate you and don't really seem to know or care much about football. Oklahoma State's been a lot of bad experiences. Um, I have a lot of friends that are Oklahoma State fans. I've come to respect their fandom in a, in a way that I didn't have an appreciation for back in the days of when I was in my 20s and teens. But at the same time, the overall experience there is usually a pretty ugly one. And a, it's, it's biased, but I feel like that fan base is not very football savvy, and it comes out in shows in a lot of ways that um, really distinguishes it from other places that we go. I've never been to, to see Texas and Austin, obviously, for obvious reasons. Um, it'd be interesting to go to a neutral game there where OU's not a part of it. But just a lot of good ones. Now, as far as the home uh, attendance, it's been fun to watch records. So, obviously, I was there in 2003 when Perkins broke the, the punt return record. Um, I was there to see P. Ryan, one of few um, to be there when P. Ryan broke the, the record for most rushing yards against Kansas in the pouring, pouring, pouring rain very reminiscent of 1984's rain and, and nothing else, thankfully. Uh, I was there when OU broke the rushing record for rushing yards in a game by a team against Kansas State in 1988, which was just a phenomenal game. Uh, they knew at the time they had broken it, and I remember the guy, the walk-on, who they, you know, they were running the wishbone then, and, and he came in to, he happened to be the, the guy that got it some just walk on that could have been one of us. He was some guy that had a history of putting on ankle weights and doing the stadium steps. He was a dedicated just practice guy. He probably saw the field less than five times in his career, but he was the one who carried the ball the 20 some yards or whatever it was to break the record for the most rushing yards in the game. That was fun. Obviously seeing that a lot of exciting games with the, we all mentioned the Texas Tech game in 2008. The Texas A&M games where we've beaten them, including the 77 to nothing, is, is pretty awesome to witness that and been a part of it. That was, that was a very fun uh, 
experience to downing the ball just on the third and fourth down with a running <laughs> clock uh, yeah, running clock no, was crazy you talk about feeling like you're on the top of the football world <laughs> that really was the era when you felt like that, that was my that was my second game ever um yeah that game was and That's i remember a pretty that good second that game. might be the only time Clear i felt embarrassed for another team uh-huh yeah like we had plenty of huge victories at home against other teams the texas tech game you know that was the jump around game obviously it's got a nickname the jump around game and I, but I don't really think I felt sorry for them because they were really good. Uh, right. You know, they were rubbed their face in it. Yeah. But that that A&M yeah. game with and the picture of Franchione on the sideline are supposed to get beat like that. They're yeah. supposed to lose, but this was not a team who's supposed to lose yeah, like that. That game, I actually pure felt embarrassment. Sorry for well, it's funny. Eric Strait had the scoop and score, which as a it was like five minutes player, left in the third quarter to score. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's funny the backlash Bob got of uh, quote unquote fiction writer running up the score and yep. all that BS. <laughs> Can't I, believe we still remember that name. I think back to Nebraska games. Most of the epic Nebraska battles were actually in Lincoln, in so Lincoln, I watched yeah. those on TV. I've been to two games up there. Been to last year's game and and the one before that was in 2001 when Jason White uh, busted his knee. A, a very unfortunate outcome in that game uh, on the scoreboard as well as for Jason White and what it meant for the rest of our season. Um, I remember the 1989 game. It was in absolute freezing sleet. I took a friend to the game who did not care much at all about OU football, and it was hard to stay engaged. We lost 9-3, uh, and Charles Thompson broke his uh, leg or his ankle on one of the last plays of the game, which meant Jamel Holloway had to come in in the bowl game against Clemson, which we also lost. Um, so that was a very painful uh, loss. There's um, obviously some really good victories against Nebraska, uh, among others, in that era, though. Could go on and on. I'll, I'll pause there. No, that's a lot of good ones. And I mean, only one in this group who saw the last national championship live, so... Hopefully that brings some good Hope, fortune. And hopefully that ends forward. soon and I can yeah, no longer claim that. Exactly. Um, a good question here. So we've, you've talked a little, about, a little bit about the rivalry, but, but Bedlam, obviously our, our last season in the Big 12 coming up, our last official conference Bedlam game. Um, what do you think the optimal future is? You, would you rather never play it? Would you want to occasionally play it? Or um, would you want to play it every year? I think I'm going to agree with what both – Connor and Lucas said to this, generally speaking, I'm not a never, but I'm not an always. It's, it's an occasional to a rare occasional. Um, I, I, I do see some value in that from the historic rivalry and the geography, but there's a lot more to lose than gain for Oklahoma, and both from a strategic point of view as well as a what's interesting point of view, I think it'd be better if we played it less than more. And so I think something like every few years to play would be good. And so maybe you go three years in between meetings and alternate between the two venues um, would, would make a lot of sense. Yeah, and I just echo the sentiment from our last spot as well. It's just it's so hard to find the value add once we get to the SEC. And depending on whether it's a, an eight-game or a nine-game conference schedule, um, where that game benefits us. So. I think last year in the off season we had the discussion about is it a rivalry, and maybe it was during the season before the game. And I came down on the side of settling that it is a rivalry, but it's a secondary rivalry. It's different in nature, 
and I think that we will pick up new rivalries that it's hard to foresee when we enter the SEC. And if I have my druthers and I'm getting to pick games, I'll pick Nebraska to be back on the schedule on a regular basis and rekindle that rivalry. Yep. And I think that has a lot more upside potential in many ways than one against a, a lesser program like Oklahoma State. I agree. Okay, uh, you've, you've seen a lot of wins. You've seen a lot of losses as well, though. Um, maybe live, maybe on TV. But what, what loss would you change if you could? Oh, my God. There are so many. There are so many uh, to think about. And I'll say one thing, and uh, there's, a, there's a victory in here um, to discuss, but there's only been two times in my knowledge that I've actually prayed for an OU outcome, I'll say proudly. Um, and they were both when I was quite young. I kind of gave up on that as I, I didn't feel like that's something that you should pray for. Uh, I'm of the belief. But I prayed that we would win the, in the middle of the game, down in the, the depths of it, the 1988 game against Oklahoma State, and we did indeed win that game. Um, so it was my prayer that caused uh, Brent, whatever his name is, to drop that football in, in that pass from Mike Gundy. Um, Mike Gaddis outrushed Barry Sanders that game, by the way. Um, and the next one was, and so this gets into what the losses I would consider, the 1987 game against Miami. That was a very, very bitter game for me. Um, I'm 12 years old, so you can just imagine what it feels like as a young boy watching your team. An epic season, a tremendous season, one where we're coming to the, the absolute climax and pinnacle of, of winning it all. And to come up short that way was just so painful. It's doubly painful, and you look at the fact that we also were in the national championship against Kansas in basketball that year, and we should have won that yeah. game. We absolutely were the best team that year, one of the best teams ever. And so it was just a double whammy of pain. But I'm not going to choose that. Um, I, I, at the time, would probably have taken one of those OU Texas games back uh, in, the, in the Gibbs era. There's nothing in the John Blake era worth savaging. Um, but for me, as painful as many have been, like the Georgia game, and boy, that's a close contender, um, I'm going to have to say the same as Lucas. For similar reasons, the 2003 season's uh, national championship against LSU, it would have had a little bit of a uh, bitterness to it in that we had lost in the, the Big 12 title game. And that would be a reason to choose the 2004 season's national championship against USC. Uh, that was a game I attended by myself, um, and that was obviously very, very painful. That was like the 87 season, where it was a bit of a comeback trail of unfinished business, and we came up short, obviously. But in 2003, I was there with the entire family. I think it's the last game that... it's it, Not the last game, but it's the last away game or the last really important game that I attended with Brian. And so, uh, all of us being together, I, I'd really like to take that back. No. No, that's a good one. So, we got a we've got an interesting outlook coming forward, coming off a six and seven season. Um, what's your biggest concerns for OU right now, though? A lot of a lot of things to be positive about, in my yeah. opinion, as the homer. As um, a realistic homer, I would say there are definitely some concerns. Um, you you have to look at the fact that it's a losing season last year. With you can optimistically say difficult losses that were just a, a, a couple plays away from victory, but at the same time you lost games you shouldn't have lost, and we lost in ways that we didn't seem to learn from our mistakes. Lucas touched on that. That's important. Um, we had what, what's just an awful showing 
top to bottom against Texas. That was a really, really difficult, uh, painful experience from the standpoint of just incompetency yeah, all didn't around. Know what you're doing. And you worry about how that reflects on the coaching staff. So I believe in this coaching staff. I want to believe in them. I actually contrast it with, like you easily can do when you look back at prior regimes and say, well, when, when, and there's some rhyming history here when, when Gary Gibbs takes over for, for Barry Switzer, that was a very difficult time for OU football. Um, I remember as a kid, my dad worked for OU, OU Foundation, and he called and told us that the day that, that Barry Switzer was going to get fired, he said, Switzer's going to get fired today. And we, I remember we already are scheduled, and we came down to swim in the OU pool, and it just ruined, it ruined a lot more, but it ruined that day. <laughs> and it just was like, that's my coach. And that was just unbelievably devastating. And so you re replace him with a, in, a, in a troubled time with, with a regime you're trying to believe in, and they couldn't get the job done for a myriad of reasons. They had the headwind of probation. That doesn't work out. You replace it with an outsider in Schnellenberger that turns out to be a complete joke. Then, and this is where I think history rhymes, and I, and I worry about this, and I'm going to give you two versions in, in terms of concern. We bring in John Blake, and we, it was a refocus on family, and we want the Sooner family, we want a Sooner, uh, someone with roots in Oklahoma, and we bring him back, and he said all the right things, and he had all the right emotions, and all the emotions were there, and there was alignment, but there was also a desperation for victory and getting us back on the right course at that time, and obviously, he was not the answer. He was in way over his head. That did not work out well. Then you get an outsider, but someone who really is in his spirit more of a Sooner, I think, in Bob Stoops in terms of absolutely a championship mentality and a know-how and the not just the charisma, but also the aptitude and, and capability to be a championship coach. And so what I hope is with Brent Venables, you're getting more of the Bob Stoops experience than a John Blake experience. And I believe it's that way. I think that the aptitude is, and, and the track record's tremendous for Brent Venables. Um, lots of reasons to believe it's there, but it still has to come together. Mm -hmm. And so my concerns are, it doesn't have to come together. It doesn't have to work out. We, we could be the next Nebraska. We really could be. Um, this could be a coaching staff that Things just don't break their way, and I would say Gary Gibbs had a lot of things just not break his way and came up short for, for uh, bad luck, among other things. And so you, you could have bad luck, and you're going into the SEC. That's got to be your top concern. You're raising and elevating the level of competition all of a sudden to something that is um, – we haven't seen anything like that as a program since we were in the heydays of the Big 12, where the Big yep. 12 was the best conference. But we entered it as the best team in the best conference, and we're not entering the SEC in that same position. So that overall has got to be the concern that I have going forward. And it, I think it's a pretty existential concern because this could be a, a turning point where if you don't pull this off, it's tough to get a second chance. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it starts getting really, really difficult. And we don't have things that the raw resources that places like Texas has that they can pull you up out of the hole. Pull back at, yeah, pull themselves out of a, a hole with. Mm, that's good. Make me worried over here. Um, so that being said, talking about concerns, how optimistic are you for OU's future? I'm gonna frame this the way you guys did on a scale of one to 10. 
I'm going to come down pretty similar. Uh, I'm going to say an 8 out of 10 in terms of optimism. I believe in the program. I believe where we're headed. I think we've got a tremendous fan base, a tremendous administration, um, a tremendous coaching staff, a support network. Uh, I don't know if the family of OU football has ever been as strong as it is today. Um, and part of that's the legacy of Bob Stoops and what he was able to to build over the decades and and that includes the time when he was not head coach but when when he was still a very part big part of the program under Lincoln Riley and so I would say that we've got about as much positive momentum as we've seen maybe since the time of Switzer's arrival as offensive coordinator back in uh, 1970 gosh help me with the history um, so uh, when that when that staff arrives from Arkansas, they're looking back at the Wilkinson years, which were were not long before that, coming out of the '60s. But there was a lot of forward momentum for for both the state as well as um, with the oil boom going on, as well as the program. And we're in better shape now than we've been since a time like that. Um, I think we are making the right strategic move to go to the SEC. That's got everything in our favor to get us to the next level. And you wouldn't have said that. It would have been the wrong answer 15 years ago if we were in the Big 12 the way the Big 12 was. That's not what the Big 12 is today. We have to make a change. The landscape of college football is changing. And I commend Castiglione, among others, for having the foresight to understand this is where we need to be and this is what the right move is. So I'm, I have to be very positive. At the same time, to try and channel realism, I have to pull back from the optimism some to say it doesn't have to work out. And we could be getting some false optimism just about where we expect and want it to be versus where, what trajectory it's actually on. But I think it's well-founded to believe we have a lot of reason to be optimistic going forward. So your, your outlook that you have right now, you know, even specifically to this this coming season, how would you compare that to something like when Lincoln Riley stepped into in 2016, going into 2017, or maybe even some of those those secondary years yeah. uh, coming out of a season with Lincoln Riley, where Brent Venable stands right now, and, and where your optimism is at? Yeah, I would say that um, I had misplaced optimism. I think everyone did with initially with the Lincoln Riley. We were all disappointed when Bob Stoops left and worried. And then immediately got pretty confident about it and had reason from play on the field to be confident about what was going on under Lincoln Riley. But there was some false confidence there because there, I think that he has a ceiling that we didn't um, completely understand at the time. And now looking back, we see it. Yeah, and I think for me, especially in that era, it was such a mentality of... Eh, it'll, it'll all it'll work, work out. out. It'll, it'll work, all out. work out. It's going to yeah. work itself out. Yeah. You know, we've got guys... Defense is what defense is. If Grinch comes in and, and can do something with the defense, we'll be fine because we're scoring all these points. Like, it's going to work itself out. That's a great way to put it because I would say, similarly to the John Blake era, that was a, it's going to work out. He's saying the right things. Sooner family, we're supposed to win, so we're going to win. That's not the way it works. We want it. We're, that's not the way it works. And that's the laurels we were resting on then. And then in the Bob Stoops era, it was like, oh, we're going to put the hard work in. And this is a different sort of optimism. So 
I would say that the optimism I have is probably fairly consistent every in every one of these instances. It's just sometimes a lot more substantiated than it is in others, and I honestly don't have a good perspective or ability to distinguish between them, to understand which situation we're in in foresight. There's a little bit of that. And it's it, hard when you're in it, because I mean, we've talked about it on this pod specifically, is and I'm sure I will hone in on it as we get closer to that first game against Arkansas State, is I go into every season with that highest expectation where we are Oklahoma football. There, there is no reason we shouldn't mean Lucas, you mentioned on the last you pod. You win every game. Yeah. I, I, we have gone top to bottom on the schedule and looked at it, and it's like there isn't a game on the schedule that we shouldn't win. Um, not to say that there's not places where we slip up and because that seems to be a theme. Um, but it is – the expectations, in my in my viewpoint, very much complement the optimism. Mm-hmm. Or the optimism maybe complements the expectations. Yeah. is a better way to put yeah. it. Yeah, I so. think so too. I hope so. Um, I think there's reason to believe that. Yeah. Last thing, at least uh, from my perspective, um, kind of on, in the same vein, what's your confidence of a national championship within the next ten years? Um. And again try to separate expectation and and hope from realistic expectation uh, or um you know I, I have a requirement and the requirement is perennially we're a contender yep. and it's a failure when we're not a contender it's a failure in retrospect over a period of time when we ha- haven't actually won a championship i look at that both as a con- at a conference level as well as national championship level so in one respect we we've, we've met expectation in almost every year in the last 23. And in another respect, we have still failed because we haven't actually pulled off the national championship, even though we've had, obviously, a tremendous run of of conference titles. So I would say I fully expect we can and should, not just I want us to, but we have the capability of competing for multiple national titles. If you consider compete to be in the hunt, to be in the playoff, Discussion meaning we're actually in a 12-team playoff. There's no, I, if you finish fifth in a four-team playoff, that's very different than finishing 13th in a 12-team playoff. So I expect us to be in the playoff quite a few times over the next decade, and you should win your share of them. So I'm going to say, with decent confidence, we will win a national title in the next decade. That's and I will consider it a failure in, in a decade's time if we haven't done so. Um, I mean, we even don't, if we if can we, beat for a lot and come up short. If we don't win, I mean, we'll be on our longest drought ever. Right? We're, already We're on, on our longest, longest drought, drought ever. I mean, you're extending It'll, the longest drought to yeah. 33 years if Which we don't win one in the next time. Crazy. So. Crazy to think about. All right. Any other questions for Steve? Well, it's, it's no. a good pod. Now, you guys know you guys know the, uh, what do we call it, the, the optimistic realist of the group, yeah, that's right. <laughs> a.k.a. Uh, Homer number two of the group. So until next time, Boomer. Sooner. Sooner.